Well, good morning and welcome to Sojourn. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to gather with you this Easter morning and celebrate together. Let me apologize first before I get into this. I know it's really warm in here. Uh, apparently the air condition hasn't been turned on yet because they're not expecting 80 degree temperatures in April. So apologize for that. Uh, but hopefully we can still just enjoy the rest of our time together. Man, I love singing together. It's good. Just our band did an awesome job this morning leading us. So thankful for them and all that they do uh, to serve us. <clears throat> We're going to be preaching out of the Bible as we do every week. So if you need a copy of the Bible this morning, would you just raise your hand? We'll have a couple of guys bring a Bible around to you. So just keep your hand up till they find you this morning. Uh, would love for you to be able to read along with us out of God's Word. And if you don't actually own a copy of the Scriptures, please take that home with you. That's our gift to you. We want you to have God's Word and be able to read it uh, all throughout the week. But to begin our time this morning, let's just go to the Lord in prayer uh, before we open up His Word. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning excited and exhausted, overjoyed and anxious, thankful and in despair, new creations and broken. We come to you this, this Easter morning with all of those things going on in different people's lives, maybe even within one person's life. And so, Lord, we just pray simply that you would heal our hearts this morning and that you would give us hope. Enable us to walk in the newness of life that any of us can have in Christ. We pray that you bless our time in your word and that by your Holy Spirit you would work in us and through us today for your glory, and for our good. Let me pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, this has been an interesting time in our world. Uh, there's a lot going on right now all over the globe. There's a lot going on right now even in our own country. And wondering sometimes, I wonder sometimes when uh, I'm going to pick up my phone the next time if there's going to be another CNN alert on my phone, notification about something else that's happened in our world. And it can make us feel uncertain at times. It can make us feel unsure of what tomorrow will bring. Early in his political career, Winston Churchill said this, politics is the ability to foretell what is going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, and next year, and to have the ability afterwards to explain why it didn't happen. Man, we like for people to tell us what's going to happen. We like for people to explain to us what's going on in our lives right now, why something is happening. And this really happens at all levels of life, whether it's the really important things or the really basic things. I mean, we want the, the weatherman to tell us what the next 10 to 15 days, what the weather is going to be, and we get upset with him when he gets it off a little bit. We expect that. We want that. Please tell us what's going to happen tomorrow. And I think generally speaking, most of us struggle with being unsure and uncertain. And this is especially true in times of personal challenge and personal, personal difficulty and personal struggles and suffering. We've been in a sermon series over the last month or so called A Hurried Life. And so this is your first time here. Again, we're so glad that you're here this morning. 
As a church, we've been walking through this series called A Hurried Life because most of us, especially here in Northern Virginia, have hurried lives. We busy ourselves with work and life, and it's not for our good. God has something better for us in the midst of that. And when there's uncertainty in our lives, especially in a hurried culture, especially in a hurried life, we tend to do two different things. One of two things. We either seek to fill our lives with more distraction. When we're uncertain about the future, if we can just distract ourselves from the uncertainty that we're experiencing, that feels good to us. And so we fill our lives up with more things to distract us. Or maybe we come to the point where we actually have to slow down because we don't know what tomorrow will bring with one question in our mind, what will the outcome be? What's going to happen? Being unsure and uncertain can be paralyzing at times. Maybe it's because of personal uncertainty. Something going on in your job right now. Maybe you're unemployed looking for a job and you don't know when that's going to come or you're having difficulty at work. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Whether your marriage or your dating relationship or your kids or your family or friends. Maybe there's uncertainty in your finances right now or with your health. It might be because of communal uncertainty, something going on in your family, something going on in your church community, something going on in your work environment, your workplace, or just even your neighborhood. It might come about because of national or global uncertainty. The economy, there's questions about the economy, and you're just not sure what's going on with that, or you are have this uncertainty because of national security or, or, or tensions and wars that are seeming to break out all over the world right now. And the reality is, when there aren't easy or quick answers to the questions we have, we can often lack hope. We can lack hope. But here, on this Easter Sunday, what I want us to know and what I want us to believe is that uncertainty doesn't mean hopelessness. Uncertainty doesn't mean hopelessness. And so today, we're going to look at Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a picture to help us. It's God's Word for us. And it's a picture to help us in times of suffering and difficulty and the uncertainty that comes about in life. To know that even in the unknown and unanswerable moments of life, God is faithful. He's faithful to His plans and His purposes. That with Him there is always hope. So no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey, if you're walking closely with Jesus right now, or maybe you came here this morning because a friend invited you, or God's maybe doing something in your life, or you just have some questions about who God is, no matter where you find yourself on that journey, my hope, my desire is that all of us today will learn the practice of hope in the midst of a hurried life. So go ahead and open your Bible if you have it with you. Open it up to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22 it's a little bit of a longer psalm, but to begin, we're just going to read verses 1 through 18 together to kind of set our time in God's Word. David is the author of this psalm, and this is God's Word to us this morning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. 
But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. In verses 1 through 18, we see a picture of a person who's experiencing uncertainty in the midst of suffering. And in this case, it's pretty significant suffering that they're walking through. We see this emotion right here in verses 1 and 2 at the beginning. David is saying, God, where are you? Am I still beside you? Am I, am I out here on my own? Because it feels like it. This is a cry of disorientation. Have you ever had those moments where you may be staying at a, a friend's house or in a hotel or something and you, you wake up in the middle of the night and you have no idea where you are? And it's disorienting you too. You wake up and you're, and you're confused and you're perplexed and you don't know what's going on for a few minutes. Maybe even start to freak out because you're unsure of what's happening. Or those moments when you get pummeled by a wave at the beach and you're, you're sputtering water out of your mouth and you don't really know what it looks like to even stand up or what direction you should face to catch a breath and just be able to get back on your feet. Do you ever feel that way? Have you ever had those moments in life? Maybe you feel that way this morning. This is intense and emotional for David. We don't know exactly what he's going through, but it's a challenging time for him. But it's not just intense, it's not just emotional, it's also relational. David is crying out to God in a relational way, a personal way. This isn't just about belief in God. David isn't thinking about God in a philosophical way. He's not thinking about God in a religious or theological way. This is about his relationship with the living God. And in this moment, David is uncertain about that relationship. Because it seems like God isn't around. We see it again in verses 6-8. through eight. He says he feels like a worm more than a man. He's scorned and ridiculed. He's mocked and attacked. And the people around him deride him for his faith. Where's your God now, David? David, you have such a great God. Why won't he help you now? And it's painful and heart-wrenching to experience things like this from other people. Again, David is uncertain and then we see the uncertainty in this suffering, this difficulty increase and laid out even more explicitly in verses 12 through 18. He says these bulls surround him. There's like roaring lions here and their mouths are open. They just want to destroy me. 
I'm poured out like water. I'm empty and I'm weak. My bones are all out of joint. My heart is melted within me. I'm tired and I'm thirsty and I'm laid by you, by you, God. I'm laid by you in the dust of death. God, where are you? Why won't you help me? These dogs and evildoers surround me and they've pierced my hands and feet and I'm so weak. I'm about to die. I can look down at my body because I'm so emaciated. I can count my bones as they gloat over me in victory at my expense. They even take and divide my clothes, my things among them by casting lots because of my impending destruction and death. This is a dire and seemingly hopeless situation, full of uncertainty. What will happen? Yet, interspersed in this uncertainty and suffering are glimpses of truth and hope. And this is so important for you and for I to pay attention to this morning in our own lives for our own moments of suffering and uncertainty, whether you're in the midst of that right now or you will be in the future See, what David does in the midst of this psalm is he recounts and remembers who God is. In verses 3 through 5, we see that he rehearses, he talks about the fact that God has been a deliverer. He has been a rescuer. In verses 9 through 11, it says, David is essentially saying, God, you seem distant from me, but you are my only hope and help. There's no one else around. This psalm is about an innocent sufferer. Someone who's going through something difficult, something challenging, uncertain of the outcome in the given moment, who doesn't deserve what is happening. Again, this is a very real moment for David. See, you and I, when we suffer, when we walk through times of uncertainty in our lives, sometimes we do that innocently. In other words, it's come about not because of anything in particular that we have done, that there's outside circumstances that are influencing our life, but at other times, we bring it about in our own lives. Due to our own actions, we bring about difficulty. But no matter what the cause is, whether it's self-inflicted or not, it is all a result of one thing, that you and I live in a sinful and broken world. Sin is our rebellion against God, against who He is, and our rebellion against ourselves, who we are. God is infinite, and he is eternal, and he's perfect, and he's holy, and he is the God. He is the sovereign Lord, the only sovereign Lord of all of creation, and that includes you and includes me. It means he is the king. But we are finite and created. None of us in this room, none of us in this world have sovereignty over our own lives. We are created to be dependent and be in a dependent relationship with our creator following him as he leads us and he guides us worshiping him giving him all praise and glory and honor instead of stealing that glory from him for ourselves and to do that in everything in our life everything we think everything we say everything we do and so when we sin We rebel against this reality. We invert that relationship. We place ourselves above God. We worship ourselves instead of God. We seek to go our own way. 
and be the king of our own life. But this rebellion isn't just out here in our actions, it's in here in our hearts. It affects every single thing about us from our head to our toes, inside and out. That rebellion is present as we push against God instead of walking with him. And there is no one without sin. So in a very real way, there is no one who is truly innocent. Well, almost no one. See, Psalm 22 is about an innocent sufferer and the hope we can have in the midst of uncertainty. In the midst of uncertainty, when we finally come to the point where distraction isn't actually very distracting and we're forced to slow down and face the very real reality of our reality, that I'm not in control, that I don't know what tomorrow will bring, that I need hope and I need help. But there is one There's one who has embodied this completely and fully, suffering not due to any fault of his own, but actually suffering like us and for us because of our sin, because of our brokenness. If we flip over to the book of Matthew, it's the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 27, we see this on display. You can go ahead and flip over there. We're going to read some of it. And as I read some of this out of Matthew chapter 27 this morning, I want you to listen and note the language and the references that Matthew writes about Jesus. This is Psalm 22, written, which was written hundreds of years before, lived out. But before we read, let me just give you a little bit of background about what's going on. Maybe as just a reminder for some of you this morning, maybe for others of you, this is the first time that you've ever heard this. This is about Jesus, and Jesus was preaching and teaching God's people about the kingdom of God, this kingdom of God that would come, but it would come by way of repentance, by turning away from our sin and turning to faith in God. It would come by faith in following Jesus as Lord and King. Jesus came to reveal God to us. He came to reveal him to us, not as a representative or as an ambassador, but as the very real Son of God who's existed for all eternity with the Father and the Spirit. But he came to us and he dwelt among us. And in him and through him is grace upon grace. But the religious leaders of the day didn't like Jesus because he was tossing their world upside down, showing them that the kingdom of God is inverted from the kingdom of this world. From the way that this world works, God's kingdom works completely different from that. It comes through a recognition of brokenness and need, of weakness and grace, not performance or success or strength. It is by faith, not by trying to be a good person, because no one is or can be good enough. But these religious leaders, they didn't like Jesus' message, and so they sought to kill him. But we learn in John chapter 10 that Jesus says that he lays down his life willingly. One of his very own followers betrayed Jesus to the authorities for chump change. And Jesus was brought up on trumped up charges and false accusations. And the bulls and the lions and the dogs surrounded him and they attacked him and they sought to kill him. To try in that moment to quiet their conscience of convictions that they actually needed him. They were not okay on their own. The crowds joined in, shouting, crucify him, crucify him. 
And Pilate, the Roman governor, delivered Jesus over to be crucified. To have his hands and his feet pierced through with nails to, held to wooden beams in the shape of a cross. And we pick this up in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 32. Listen to this. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross, to carry Jesus' cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Then the robbers were crucified with him also, reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemi sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, being Attacked and ridiculed, scorned and despised, mocked that the God he loves, his eternal father, the one he has proclaimed to the people, can't actually save him. His hands are nailed, his feet are nailed, his body is breaking and these soldiers are dividing up his clothes by casting lots. And in that moment, hanging on the cross in full and complete innocence, without one ounce or inkling of sin in his life, tired, alone, thirsty, empty, and weak, he is being laid in the dust of death. And in that moment, he cries out like the psalmist, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he dies. In verses 57 through 61 of Matthew 27, we see that Jesus is taken down from the cross and he's buried in a tomb. And the stone is rolled in front of it to seal it. And he is in darkness. Death has won the day. But that's not the end of the story. And the reason we know that's not the end of the story is because Psalm 22 tells us it's not the end of the story. Go back with me to Psalm 22. When we get to verse 18, it seems as all is lost, but that's not the end of the psalm. It's not the end of the story. Verses 19 through 24. 
the psalmist says, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Then catch this, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And He has not hidden His face from Him, but has heard when He cried to Him. You have rescued me, he says. I will tell of your name and praise you amongst my brothers in the congregation. You have heard me. You haven't forsaken me. You haven't turned away. You haven't hidden your face from us in our pain, in our suffering, in our distress, in our uncertainty. So there is hope in the face of uncertainty and death. But before we dive into that a bit more... There's a group of people that I don't want us to miss in this story. And it's a group of people I don't want us to miss because I think it's a group of people that you and I can relate to. It's Jesus' disciples. The men and women who were following Jesus, who were listening to him, teaching about the kingdom of God, who were hopeful that Jesus would be the king of this kingdom and they would walk with him in that. But now he is dead. And they were uncertain about what was to come. See, in Psalm 22, in between verses 18 and 22, is a period of waiting for Jesus and for his disciples. It's a period of waiting that we often ignore. Some call this Holy Saturday, and it's the pinnacle of uncertainty. I mean, can you imagine this? Jesus has died, and these disciples who have been following him are sitting in a room wondering what happened, wondering if they had missed something, wondering if they would be next. Saturday would have been really hard. It would have been a sobering day, a day where it seems that darkness had won, and it caused the disciples to slow down and wonder and wait and wonder some more. And so often, that's what happens when we are walking in uncertainty in our own life. We wonder and wait and wonder some more. But see, Jesus was never uncertain about the outcome. Jesus was never uncertain about hope. He was never without it. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Jesus went to the cross with joy before him, despising its shame. Why? Because he knew that wasn't the end of the story. He knew that he would sit at the right hand of his father and he told his disciples over and over again that he had to suffer and he had to be crucified and die, but that he would be raised on the third day. Throughout Jesus' life, he declared his death and the hope of resurrection. Why did he do all this? Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 tells us that Jesus died on a cross to become a curse for us. On that cross, he took on our sin. On that cross, he took on our shame to remedy our brokenness and to give us life. And in the moment of uncertainty on that cross, his father turned his face away from his beloved son so that we might be welcomed to the father, so that you could be reconciled to God. Jesus suffered like us and 
for us. That is the good news of the gospel. So friends, what we have to see in this, even now in your own life, is that it's oftentimes in the moments of uncertainty that God is at work the most. On that holy Saturday, the disciples didn't know that that following day, that very next day, that hope would walk among them once again. And that's what the rest of Psalm 22 is about, that they would recognize that the rest of Psalm 22 would become a reality for them and for us. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, it says this, Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb where Jesus was buried. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers and go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. He is risen, and he greets them on this road, and they're blown away that the risen Jesus is in front of them, and they fall at at his feet, and they worship him, and they run and tell everybody else, you're not going to believe this because it's almost unbelievable, but he's alive. He's risen, and they worship together, and this word spreads out not only in Jerusalem, but throughout all of Israel and all over the world. We're here in Fairfax, Virginia this morning preaching the same good news. It's the result of the resurrection. Psalm 22 shows us an even wider picture of this. It shows us the fact that we should be sitting here this morning. Listen to the rest of Psalm 22. Starting in verse 25, it says, From you comes my praise. In the great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Check this, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. There is worship in community. There is hope for all the world and all generations that he has done it. Now, why do I say all this this morning? Because there's hope for you. I don't know the hurt or the pain 
for the struggle that you might be going through right now or that you will go through. I don't know for all of you what brought you to gather here this morning. But what I do know is that there is hope for you in your uncertainty, no matter what it is, because of the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 5, 5 tells us that it is a hope that does not disappoint. See, because Jesus has experienced the reality of Psalm 22, he can help those who are or will be in the similar time. He came to us as one of us to rescue us. And Jesus identifies with you in your affliction, whatever it might be. And he identifies with you in those moments when you might feel like God has forsaken you. But he also enables you. He enables you to see your story transformed. He enables this not to be the end of your story, just like it wasn't the end of his story. And he invites you into life now and forever through his death and resurrection. See, each one of us has to die to sin and die to ourselves and be raised to new life in and through Christ by faith. Sojourn, this isn't deliverance from death, but deliverance through death. And so if you are in Christ already, this is your reality. It's what we celebrate. It's why we gather together. and It's something we should celebrate every day. Church, the resurrection isn't just something we talk about on Easter. It's not something that's only relevant once a year. This is relevant every day of every life. It's an everyday reality because you are alive in Christ because Christ is alive. He's seated at the right hand of the Father right now interceding for you. That is amazing grace, amazing news. And if you don't know Christ, first off, let me just say again, I am so glad you're here this morning. But I also want you to know that this is for you. It's available to you as well. Romans 10 says, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we can be saved from our sin and know God. So will you do that today? Will you believe that truth today? Will you confess with your mouth today that Jesus is Lord? In just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together, and we're going to sing some more songs, and we're going to see some people get baptized, and that would be a perfect time for you to cry out to God, God, I need you. Would you save me? I believe to trust in him, that you might know him and be known by him. Because see, when you believe, Jesus' story of resurrection becomes your story. It is hope for you. Which means that your story of despair or difficulty can also be a story of resurrection and redemption. Because there is one who has cried out like this for you, who relates to you, who died for you. And he is the same one who on the cross declared, it is finished. Or like the psalmist in Psalm 22, he has done it. See, church, in the midst of our waiting and longing for whatever it is that we're waiting on, the gospel, the good news of Christ is always the answer to apply and on which to meditate. It gives us hope that darkness does not win the day. But even when it feels as if we will die, we can take heart because guess what? We know the God who raises the dead. 
that is the practice of hope as we wait for the risen Jesus to return again or call us home. A friend of mine is a pastor reflecting on Easter, wrote this recently, wrote it just this week. He said, hope indeed is the final frontier for human beings. The life, this life filled with sin and death can batter the small hopes of the masses into despair. Yet, for those who trust in the promises of Christ, who believe in the resurrection of the dead, who believe in the life to come and his glorious kingdom will live from hope to hope through every trial and difficulty. In the midst of a busy and a hurried life, know that today's disappointments will soon fully and finally fade into the eternal promises of, of our God. That is certain. And to that we can say, Amen, He has done it. We're going to come to the communion table now and respond to this amazing news. And Psalm 22 shows us that deliverance and resurrection are things to be declared in the context of community. And so we're going to come together to the table and we're going to celebrate together and we're going to see four people get baptized in just a few minutes. And as Eric said, a bunch of our kids are going to come in and see that as well. We're going to celebrate and we're going to clap and we're going to keep singing together because we are a resurrection community. We are a family of new creations that because of Christ, the old has passed away and the new has come. So as you come forward this morning to eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim and celebrate Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that allows us to have hope. Sojourn, it is good to slow down in our hurried lives. It is good to slow down and remember and be refreshed by that, that his body was broken for you, that his blood was shed for you. So come forward this morning with zeal and excitement, with thankfulness in your hearts to eat and drink and then sing and celebrate all that Christ has done for you. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we just ask you to hang out and sit in your seat, not to come forward to eat the bread and drink the cup because this doesn't do anything for you. Instead, I just want to ask, I want to invite you just to hang out in your seat and just pray as I was just talking about. Pray, maybe this is that moment where you know I need Jesus. So would you take Christ today? He offers himself to you. And then next week you can come back and celebrate with us as a new brother or new sister in Christ and partake of this meal together and we'll celebrate with you. If you have questions about what it means to know Jesus or follow Jesus, that is why we are here as a church. We want you to experience that and we want to journey with you in that. So let somebody know that. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or the two tables in the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take one of the small cups to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. Oh God, you are so good and so glorious. And while weeping may tarry for the night, we are hopeful because joy comes in the morning. So praise your name, God, for what you have done we praise you for the hope we have in the midst of uncertainty because Jesus is risen. So help us to celebrate that now and throughout our whole lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.